The Lord be with you. The story of death et mortuus est. I'm going to read for you Genesis chapter 5 here. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So that one little, the one little sentence explains that God created us to never die, right? In the likeness of God. Uh, and of course, along with that, a bunch of other things. Of course, not dying is actually the end result of a bunch of other things. That we are holy and righteous, uh, uh, perfect, um, uh, and uh, wise, at least wise in things that are good. That's how God created Adam and Eve. And uh, so because they were holy and righteous, uh, God intended that they live forever with him. So God created people not to die. Death was never the result. But verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image. What's the change? Whose image are all of us created in now? In man's image, in Adam's image. Yep. So we say that each one of us has a, uh, an old Adam, a sinful flesh. We have original sin. Uh, and uh, Lutherans are, are somewhat unique. Well, I shouldn't say that. Lutherans believe what the Bible says about original sin. There are a lot of a lot of modern denominations, uh, Arminianism, um, uh, that, that don't, a lot, most non-denominational churches will say, we don't have original sin. You might be inclined to sin. Even the Roman church would say, uh, you, you have still something good left in you, and you have the ability to work your way into heaven. Um, or you have the ability to accept God and thus get your way into heaven. Um, but as we heard in our Old Testament lesson, we don't choose God, God chooses us. We have original sin. So, what's the result of this? Uh, so he named Seth after he begot Seth. The days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Et mortuus est. You know, for us, the surprising thing is the 930 years. The surprising thing for Adam was, and he died. Think about that. It shouldn't be surprising to us that they lived so long. It should be surprising that they died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 107 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died at Martuus Est. Enosh lived 930 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died at Mortuas Est. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he, after he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years at Mortuas Est. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years. Et Martuas est. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After Enoch died, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years. Et Martuas est. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We don't know exactly what happened to Enoch, uh, but apparently he didn't die. Uh, we assume that God just assumed him into heaven, that God just, uh, took, him, that God just took him into heaven um, without a natural death. Um, and so what you have here, it's not as if everybody before Enoch uh, was so bad they just went straight to hell. Um, this is, this is the, the line of Adam and Seth, uh, who the promised Messiah is still coming through, and they're passing it down. So uh, it seems that they, they went to heaven uh, after they died, but Enoch is just taken to God. And so what you have here is really a picture of what will happen to uh, everyone. 
not everyone will die because some people will be left when God returns, right? Um, when God returns to judge the living and the dead, some people will still be here and they will get the fate of Enoch, right? They will just get taken to heaven without death. Um, and so we get a little picture here, even in Enoch, of the end of the world. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years at Methuselah's est. Methuselah was the, the oldest person that we know of in Scripture. Uh, there are, by the way, other records, uh, ancient records, of kings that had reigns of 200 years or more. So uh, people lived longer a long time ago. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah. You know Noah. This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived not to 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 770 years, 777 years, at Mortuus asked. So we are involved in this great procession. And unless Jesus returns to call us home like Enoch, all of us are going. The end of our life, our biography, if somebody writes our biography, the end of it is going to be et mortuus est. And he died, or and she died. Every one of our biographies is going to say that. And he died. Um, so let's talk about this. What is death? Um, one second to find my page. Uh, so death, we say, um, was not the way it was supposed to be. We can't say that we should say that because it wasn't. Um, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God gave a command to the man. He said, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So that was the command and the promise that God gave to Adam. It wasn't just the command, it was a, it was a promise. God had uh, combined, uh, he had given two promises. One, you eat from any tree in the garden, and you can eat from the tree of life, and what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, what's the promise? You're going to live forever. Yeah, so one promise. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's going to happen? What's the promise there? You're going to die. So, law and gospel, right? They're both promises, law and gospel. One is, one is to life, one is to death. Um, let's talk about uh, today. What are some assumptions people might have uh, people might have about what death is? Maybe some cliches that you've heard. You've gone to a funeral, and what do people say about death? What are some assumptions people say? You're at a funeral, or maybe you're at a visitation, and somebody well-meaning tries to comfort, comfort the bereaved. What do they say? Is it at peace? Better place? Suffering's over. And you'll hear that. You'll hear those sort of things. At Christian funerals and sometimes even at non-Christian funerals, right? Um, we all have this kind of general idea that good people will go to a, a good place, right? A better place. Good people will go to a better place. Um, you also hear things like, well, that's, that's not him. You know, the, the, the body laying there, the corpse laying there, that's not him. He's already gone. Yep, or, or he flew away. He, she, he, she flew away, right? As if they're like a, you know, as if the body is, is just a shell. 
and it's inhabited by a soul. And, and the soul is what really, the, that's really what the person was. They weren't the body. Um, but that's the Bible. Um, especially we see this in Genesis 2. The Bible views a person as a whole being. Uh, it's physical and spiritual together. Uh, this is why when Jesus became man, he became real man, but also he was true God at the same time. He was both, and they were, they were inseparable. And even today, Jesus is still true man and God inseparable. Um, you and I, we are inseparable body and souls, um, at least before death. And it's, it's not as if me and you, you and I, it's not as if we're just souls, merely souls inhabiting a shell, inhabiting a body. Uh, that's, that's a concept borrowed from Greek philosophy. That's not biblical. That's Greek philosophy. That's, that's Plato, Aristotle. That's not, that's not biblical. Um, throughout the Bible, spiritual and physical death are seen as belonging together. Uh, we remember last week the healing of the paralytic man. Um, so that the physical ailment or physical impairment is seen as a symptom of what? Sin, right? Um, and, and healing or life is seen as a symptom of forgiveness. Uh, and so for this reason also, St. Paul speaks of the danger of taking the Lord's body and blood uh, without recognizing as Christ's true body and blood in physical terms. Uh, and there could be no death before sin entered the world. Uh, they are together. Sin uh, infects our bodies. We are, we are, we are, we are sinful. Um, and we cannot separate the spiritual and the physical. And so when God tells Adam that he will surely die, he means both physically and spiritually, right? So Adam, be, by his sin, is doomed to spend eternity apart from God, right? And by, by virtue of our uh, inheritance of this, uh, because we are born in the image not of God, but of Adam. That's our end too. A, a spiritual and physical death. Two deaths. Um, and there's only one reason why, why some people go to heaven. It's not because they're good. There's three deaths. So that, that's two deaths. Spiritual and physical. Those are two. Um, the Bible talks about three deaths, and I suppose you can, you can kind of lump the spiritual and eternal together. Uh, some theologians do. For our sake today, we're going to split those up into three different ones. So, spiritual death. So, every person, excuse me, each person born in the image of Adam is spiritually dead. So, from the moment you are conceived, you are spiritually dead. So what can a dead person do? Nothing, right? right. So you, can't, you can't decide to believe. You can't decide to go to church. You can't decide to have faith. You can't do anything. Romans 5.12 says, So then just as sin entered the world and through one man, uh, one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. So that's one, spiritual death. Second, we have bodily or temporal death. And that is simply when the body and soul separate from each other. So that's when the body and soul separate from each other. But it's only temporarily. It's only temporarily. That's why it's called temporal. Genesis 3.19, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return, God told Adam. And tem temporal death is simply the last farewell uh, this is from Spagenberg, uh, Luther's close friend. As the poet Horace said, Mors ultima linea rerum est. That is, death is the end to which all things are moving. The Germans say, Auf Wiedersehen. And what does that mean? See you again. See you soon, right? That's what death is. See you soon. Uh, and then finally, there's eternal. And that's when the soul separates, not from the body, but from God. 
Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, now, uh, when God returns, oh, so, let me, so in eternal death, the soul is left to face its own conscience alone in the face of God's holy and just wrath and ultimate despair of God's grace. So that's what eternal death is. You no longer have God with you. You know, sometimes we talk about hell on earth or, or, or earth being a living hell, like when things are really bad. It's not. Because God is still with you. There's nowhere you can go on earth apart from God's presence. He's always with you on earth. But eternal death, that's when now finally you are separated from God. Uh, and you are left with your own conscience and your own sin. You still have your sin. And now that's condemning you eternally. And you're in the face of God's holy and just wrath. You know how much of a sinner you are. And so you, you have ultimate despair of God's grace. You know what it is, but you can't get it. That's what eternal death is. Um, Swagenberg says this, for that bite uh, should be brought. For that bite brought Adam and all his children into fear, misery, trouble, toil, and affliction. Yes, it bequeathed them death. The book, book of Wisdom says in chapter 2, God created human beings for eternal life and made them in his, in his image that they might be like him as he is. But through the devil's hate and envy, death came into the world. Uh, if you know your Bible, you know the Book of Wisdom is not actually in our Bibles. Uh, it's in the Apocrypha. Um, but Spagenberg, after Luther, uh, Luther didn't remove the Apocrypha from the Bible. Uh, that was later Protestants. Um, Luther simply said this is not in the canon of, it, it, this is not divinely inspired, at least as far as we know. But he still kept it in the Bible because it had a, a, a very important place. Uh, and he still used it, he still preached on it, um, and so Spagenberg is following him, that we could still learn from the Apocrypha, uh, even though uh, it's not divinely inspired. Um, but the, these three deaths, bodily temporal, that, that is temporal. So every single person is going to die, uh, and your body and soul are going to separate from each other uh, temporarily. But also, uh, Jesus talks about when he returns, there is going to be a resurrection. And the resurrection is for everybody, right? The, 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 the righteous will go to heaven. Their bodies will be reunited with their souls in heaven. The unrighteous, their bodies will be reuni reunited with their souls in hell, right? Um, so, so the bodily temporal death is only temporary for everybody, um, it's just the eternal one, the spiritual one, that's the one that we, that we really need to talk about and be concerned about. Uh, on, the, on the left, sorry, right hand side of your, your sheet, I've got a number of hymns. Uh, I don't think we'll sing them today, but meditate on them. We've got these, these beautiful hymns for a reason, uh, and, and they teach us about death. And so I put these here that if later on... Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going, to be, we're going to be doing some funeral planning uh, together as a group. And uh, so take a look at these hymns because they talk about death. They're, they're great ones to use, most of them, uh, at, at the funeral. The Dance of Death. Let's continue on the next, the next page. Whoops. Um, I was going to read you something, but I, I don't have it with me. Um, anyway, Spagenberg goes through this long list of, of, every, of everybody that, uh, that um, uh, will die and has died. Uh, death doesn't escape anybody. It doesn't escape the poor. Uh, death has no mercy on, poor, on the poor, uh, the lonely. Uh, it has no mercy on the rich, the powerful. Uh, no matter what atheist or, or uh, ancient philosopher or poet Whatever your status, death does not escape anybody. Uh, any pope, he doesn't escape pope or, or king. And he mentions all these people by name in his, in his book, uh, the Book of Comfort for the Sick, that I mentioned last week. 
This is the one that he wrote for school children. So Spagenberg was a pastor in Nordhausen, and he wrote this little booklet for school children on what death and dying was. And he includes this list of people in there. Um, and, and he's uh, following a tradition called um, uh, um, Dance Macabre. And maybe you've heard that around Halloween time. Dance Macabre, it's a, it's a popular uh, music style. Um, and uh, Dies Irae, the Day of Wrath, you've got the hymn there on the right. Um, we have that in our hymnal. Uh, you know it, you've heard it. Uh, day of wrath, oh day of mourning. Do, 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 do. This is verse 2 here. Um, but you'll hear it in almost, in a lot of movies where there's death. Whenever Darth Vader shows up, part of his theme is actually uh, Dies Irae. Uh, and it uh, follows uh, this, uh, this literature. But uh, Dance Macabre, Dance of Death. But John 3, 6, uh, 3, verse 6 says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Um, it ties in with our lesson today, our gospel lesson. Uh, all human beings will, will die. We, we give birth to flesh. The only way to, to give birth to, to spirit uh, for eternal life, to live eternally, is for God to give us life. So we need to be reborn. Uh, Spagenberg says, therefore, the philosopher says that it would be good if human beings, so he says, this is the, what the philosopher says, not, not what the Bible says, not what a Christian would say, but this is what a philosopher would say, right? So the philosopher says that it would be good if human beings were never born or would die as soon as they were born. The human being who reaches the end of life quickly is indeed the best situation. Is that what modern philosophers would say? Is that what modern scientists would say? I think so. Where does the abortion industry come from? Right? Right. It'd be better if they'd never be born. Right? Where does the euthanasia industry come from? Be better if life ended early. Um, so, modern philosophers, modern scientists, the ones that are making all the rules today, uh, make life determined by quantity or quality. So, a short life or a life of suffering is not worth living. It'd be better for some to die. And uh, you can think of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and in uh, Dickinson's uh, novel, Christmas Carol, right? Uh, the, he wanted the poor to, to die. It'd be better for them to just die and go away so we don't have to support them. Um, Dickinson was, was um, that's the end of some philosophy, right? That's the end of one worldview. That's not the Christians. So, should a Christian flee death? I'll ask you, should a Christian flee death? purposely did not have any stipulations here. Yep. yep. So the answer probably is, I think what you're getting at uh, would be, it depends, right? It depends. Um, I'm going to go to Luther now. Uh, some comments from Luther. When Luther is writing about... Uh, um, and he's answering this question, whether Christians should flee from the, from, the, from the plague. So somebody asked him, is it right to flee? Is it right to, to actually leave town? Because in, in those days, the pandemic was, was, it was epidemic, right, endemic, and it was moving from town to town. Um, the, 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 the major pandemic portion was already over 100 years earlier, um, but it's still endemic and moving around from town to town. And so they asked, is it right to actually to flee that town and go somewhere else? And a lot of people did, 
ironically, that's how the, the plague spread further, um, because somebody was already infected without knowing it, and then they went somewhere else, and they infected that whole town and that whole thing. So people actually fleeing, maybe, they, maybe some people lived, but it also did a lot worse for, for the society. Um, but uh, so Luther said that uh, death is not always something to be fled. So it may happen that to flee death is to flee God's word and command. So we don't want to flee God's word or command. Sometimes God's word takes precedence over our life. So Luther says, for example, uh, in the case of a man who is in prison for the sake of God's word and who to escape death, denies and repudiates God's word. So this is a martyr, or maybe it would be martyr, somebody who's imprisoned for their Christian faith, and they, they, they are asked, do you recant your Christian faith? Uh, do, you, do you really believe all that? If you say no, I'll let you live. So Luther says, in such a situation, everyone has Christ's plain decree and command not to flee, but rather to suffer death. And he says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Right? Bodily death is just temporary. So we're not to flee if we are, we are persecuted for our faith. Another example, those who are engaged in spiritual ministry, such as preachers and pastors, must likewise remain steadfast when at risk of death. We have a plain command from Christ. A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but the hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. For when people are dying, they most need a spiritual ministry, which strengthens and comforts their, their consciences by word and sacrament, and, in, and faith overcomes death. Um, it's this where I, I've already mentioned this before. I, I, I was wrong in, in closing down too early and, and, and kind of fleeing back into my own home uh, at the height of the pandemic at the beginning. Nobody knew what was going on. But I, should have done, I should have done a little more reading on Luther and, and meditating on this. Another example, in the same way, all public officials, such as mayors, judges, and the like, have the responsibility to remain this too is God's word, which establishes earthly authority and commands that town and country be ruled, protected, and preserved. As St. Paul teaches in Romans 13, 4. The governing authorities are God's ministers for your own good. To abandon an entire community which one has been called to govern and leave it without official or government exposed all kinds of exposes it to all kinds of dangers such as fires, murder, riots, and every imaginable disaster is a great sin. Well, it's a good thing that didn't happen last year, right? Um, let's see. So, uh, however, fleeing, especially for those who do not have a vocation or duty to stay, may be good and right. So it may be right to actually flee. So this also may be in service to the neighbor. Luther gives the example of the Christians in Damascus who lowered Paul in a basket over the wall to make it possible for him to escape. Right? Luther, uh, Paul was going to die. It was obvious he was going to die. But um, uh, he was lowered in a basket uh, and, and he survived. Likewise, in Acts 19, Paul allowed himself to be kept from risking danger in the marketplace because it was not essential for him to do so. He actually used the... Um, Paul knew the law. He was smart. So he, he really took advantage of his authority as a Roman citizen. Remember? Paul is, Paul is ethnically Jewish, but he is um, a citizen of Rome. So he's got two, dual citizenship, and he uses that to his advantage all the time. And he escapes death multiple times by his dual citizenship. Um, so he uses it to his advantage. He, he's, he's smart. So he's using the resources, the tools that are available to him to, to escape death, right? He doesn't need to die now, so he's not going to, right? So Luther uh, would say, um, 
this is not on your sheet, but I'll, I'll read you this. To begin with, Luther says, some people are of the firm opinion that one not need and should not run away from a deadly plague. Rather, since death is God's punishment, which he sends upon us for our sins, right, it is, we must submit to God and with a true and firm faith patiently await our punishment. These people think that running away is clearly wrong and shows a lack of faith in God. Others take the position that one may properly flee, particularly if no one holds public office. We've heard those two positions, right? Um, uh, well, you're wrong uh, for, for um, thinking that, that we shouldn't you know, do whatever, or you're wrong for thinking that we should do whatever, right? These are the two opinions. And so Luther's saying, I cannot criticize the former for their excellent decision. They uphold a good cause, namely a strong faith in God, and a desire to be commended because they desire every Christian to hold to a strong, firm faith. But it takes more than a milk faith to await a death before which most of God's people themselves have been and still are in dread. Who would not praise these serious people to whom death means so little? They willingly accept God's punishment, doing without so attempting God, as we shall hear later on. Um, so, not everybody's in the same place. Um, uh, that's what Luther's saying. He says, when a strong man travels with a weak man, he must hold himself back so as to not walk as fast in his own, as his own strength allows, and by so doing set a pace that harms his weaker companion. Right? So this is where ultimate Christian freedom um, this is the end of Christian freedom. This is what, what it should do. Uh, freedom, my freedom in service to my neighbor. So what's going to be good and right for my neighbor, not what can I get away with, right? Um, so, so walking as fast or as slow as my neighbor to, to come alongside him, right? I'll uh, close the section with the quote from Spagenberg. Why do you want to fear death? It opens the door to eternal life for you. Let the unbelievers and the godless fear death, those who grow, go through temporal death to eternal life. The narrow gate of death and the new birth of eternal life. So I talked about the temporal nature of death, that it is only temporary. Luther has this great picture of how temporary it actually is. And I'll read, read this uh, for you now. Luther says, since everyone must depart, we must turn our eyes to God, to whom the path of death leads and directs us. Here we find the beginning of the narrow gate and of the straight path to life. All must joyfully venture forth in this path, for through the gate, for though the gate is quite narrow, the path is not long. Just as an infant is born with peril and pain from the small abode of its mother's womb into this immense heaven and earth, that is, into this world, so man departs this life from the narrow gate of death. And although the heavens and the earth in which we dwell at the present seem large and wide to us, they are nevertheless much narrower and smaller than the mother's womb in comparison with the future heaven. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Uh, think of a baby in his, womb, in his mother's womb and how, how tightly confined they are in there. And when they come out, they're just so scrunched. But, but how big the world seems to them. Even more drastic will be the contrast between this life here and heaven. Uh, this life will, be, will seem even more confined to us than, than a mother's womb. I'll read the, the quote from Spagenberg. Uh, well, he says the same thing. Even if the gate is too small, path too narrow... It's certainly not long, and it gets there quickly, as Christ said to the pregnant woman in John 16. Therefore, we must remember that after this earthly life, there will be a greater dwelling place in eternal life. So let's talk about life. Uh, the Christian death is completed in Christ. Consumatum est. Not et mortuus est. Consumatum. Um, Deuteronomy 30, God says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Deuteronomy, by the way, is the second law. It's basically a, um, 
Hebrew likes to repeat things a lot, so this is basically God's repeating of the Ten Commandments and all the moral laws. So in that, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Um, so death has to be fulfilled. Death has to be fulfilled. We, there, there is no option. So because we sin, we must die. And that has to be fulfilled. Or else God would be a liar, right? God can't just let everybody into heaven now because that would make him a liar. Because remember what he told Adam, if you eat this, you will surely die. God repeats it here. Uh, if you choose to go after other gods, you will surely die. And all of us by nature do. And so God can't go against his word. It would make him a liar. And that's something that God is not. right? So God has to, people have to die. They have to die spiritually and eternally. So God has to do something. He has to, to, to give a substitution. Someone has to suffer this. right? Someone has to suffer this. John 19.30 is the consummation of death. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Consumatum est. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus did everything that we could not, and then he dies the death that we deserved. Uh, in my confirmation class, we go through this, and we make a really big point of it. Uh, Jesus had to be true man to do something God can't do. Right? What, 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 is God, what can't God do? Die. Yep, God can't die. But Jesus had to be true God uh, in order that his death, his, his suffering life and death, might be sufficient for everybody. So imagine uh, a teeter-totter. Right? You're on the playground. Um, I don't even know if they had teeter tots on the playground anymore, but you've got a, a, a big kid on this side. What do you need on this side? Yeah, two little ones. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so it's got to be balanced out. Um, we, with our sin, you know, we've already sinned and, and we can't save ourselves, so we need somebody to balance it out here. So, okay, so one perfect person could do that. But it's not just me and my sin, is it? It's the whole world. So now you need somebody as, as big and powerful as the whole world. Well, who is that? Jesus, God. Right? So Jesus has to be true God in order to, make, to balance out the sins of the entire world. Right? John 3, 16. Uh, For God so loved, in this way loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. So Jesus in his death completes death. He finishes it. He consummates death. Right? So he... Um, I don't know if we, we think about that like we should. Jesus fulfills death. He fulfills it. And in doing so, he, 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 uh, he defeats it. So he defeats it by actually being defeated. He defeats it by dying. Uh, Psalm 16, Psalm of David, uh, then gives us this, this great uh, little prayer. Uh, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. I will, hi, so those who hasten after another God, those who believe in another God, those who don't trust in Jesus, who have the, the wedding clothes, uh, their sorrows will be multiplied. They're going to hell. But I, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Death makes us doubt and fear, doesn't it? Uh, and Maybe we suffer depression because of, of death. A loved one died. Um, we have night seasons. 
right? We stay up late at night thinking about these things. So we have night seasons. But David says, my heart also instructs me in these night seasons. And what heart is that? It's a heart that's been conformed to the image of God. Again, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my, soul, my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. Right? Not just, my, not just my soul, not just a soul that's flying away to heaven, but my body, my flesh. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. The Hebrew word Sheol, we don't really have it an English equivalent. Uh, you can think of it as hell uh, or living hell. Um, so the, the, the things on earth that we talk about as a living hell, uh, that's really what Sheol is. It can mean death too. So God's not going to leave our soul in death. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Who's the Holy One? Jesus. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness and joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Jesus died. Psalm 16, you can read as, as Jesus. Um, this is all referring to Jesus too. Not just me, but also Jesus. Um, so Jesus died, but Jesus' soul was not left in Sheol, in the grave. Uh, he rose. And therefore, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everyone who believes in him, whose heart is in him, will have the same end, will have the path of life. The uh, hymn uh, verse, uh, verses uh, to the right there, Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands, that's Luther's uh, phenomenal Easter hymn. Um, it's a, it has a minor tone to it, so a minor key. Uh, and a lot of times on Easter, we're like, oh, we don't, don't want to sing those minor key hymns. Those are sad. Uh, but it's just, it's just glorious. Um, no son of man could conquer death. Such mischief sin had wrought us. For innocence dealt, dwelt not on earth, and therefore death had brought us into thraldom from of old, and ever grew more strong and bold, and kept its, us in its bondage. Alleluia. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Holy Scripture plainly saith that death is swallowed up by death. In vain it rages o'er us. Alleluia. So there is a contending, there is a battle between life and death. Only one of them is going to win. Right? You have this long line of et mortuus est, and he died, and he died, and he died. And then you have one man who does not die, but who consummates death. He rises again. So he ends that, he, he completes it, and he finishes that line of death. And so now all of us who are baptized into him, we have a different end. Spagenberg says, you should think to yourself and say to yourself, look, you are baptized, and in this you are likely to suffer temptation and hostility. Follow the example of your Savior Christ. You are to take up your cross and follow him. In your baptism, you received a promise signed and sealed that your temptation, cross, suffering, and death do not belong to you, but they are Christ's temptation, cross, suffering, and death. That means as Christ has conquered them all, and in the end, he rose from the dead and lives eternally. So in the very same way, you shall conquer the devil, death, sin, and hell, and every evil in the name of God, and wake again on the last day from the dead, from the dead, and live with Christ eternally. The priest promised you that in your baptism, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he, God, will not go back on this promise to you, for he is a faithful God. Notice Spagenberg, who is a Lutheran, says, the priest promised you this. Um, Lutherans, Lutheran pastors can be called priests. In Norway, it's the same term. Um, so he's not, not making a, a church declaration there. But, um, but what, what a pastor, what a priest promises you here on earth is as good as what's done in heaven. Think of, again, last week, uh, the healing of the paralytic man. The body and soul are together. Uh, sin, or ailments, physical ailments, are a symptom of sin. 
life is a symptom of forgiveness. So, when the pastor or priest or whoever forgives you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are forgiven. That's as sure on, on, in heaven as it is on earth. Um, so, your life, your salvation is a symptom, uh, if you will, of that forgiveness. And so you have it. So, you believe what you hear here. Gerhard says, um, uh, by the word of death, I understand both Christ's death and our own. Indeed, the death of Christ and his sufferings is the essence of Christianity. Right? Uh, the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is not me living my best life, not God giving me all the stuff that I want, but Christ's death. Christ's suffering and death, that's the essence of Christianity. Um, it's oops, it's why, why pastors, why, why we always have crucifixes, right? I, I wear one on Sundays. Um, we don't have one uh, here. Um, we do have one, I think, in the back. Um, but uh, we always want to meditate on that image of Jesus because it's, it's his death that actually informs our, informs our own and his life that gives the sure promise to our life. I will close with Luke 7, 11 to 17, Jesus versus death. Uh, we heard this just a couple of weeks ago. Soon afterward, Jesus went on his way to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. As he was approaching the town gate, there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not cry. He went up to the open coffin, touched it, and the pallbearers stopped. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave it to his mother. Fear gripped all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited, visited his people. This was reported about him in all of Judea and in all the surrounding countryside. The dance of death, the line of death, is ended. Et mortuus est is no longer the reality. We will live. Death has been consummated. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And you have this struggle here, this procession of death that's coming out uh, from the town to the outside to bury this little boy. And Jesus stops it. And he begins a new procession, a procession of life. And that's the procession that all of you, by the sake, by virtue of your baptism, are privileged to join. Any comments, questions, concerns? Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, but what did that cross do for you? Right? Jesus' death is your life. Right? Um, and yes, certainly we know that the, the, the empty tomb, but, you know, here's a, so at, so at Easter, we, we, you know, the picture is what? The empty tomb. It's not the empty cross. It's the empty tomb. Um, and uh, so we, you know, at Easter, we wouldn't put Jesus in the tomb again. Good Friday, we wouldn't take Jesus off the cross. And we shouldn't at any day. Because Jesus, that's the reality. Jesus died on the cross. And uh, so that's what we want to meditate on. Uh, the same thing would be true for Christmas, right? You have uh, Jesus in the, uh, in the manger. He's not in the manger still, right? But, you know, we, we have that image. So Jesus was in the manger. We keep him there. He was on the cross, we keep him there. He wasn't in the tomb, and so we take him out of there. The other question, when we first started, we talked about the, the lineage, you know, and Adam and all of the rest, but how soon in the Bible was it that Jesus promised 
Yep, God does not wait long. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's the first promise. Um, we don't know. I, I can't tell you how long it was. It's very likely in the first week. Um, we can't, I can't prove that, but it's very quick. Um, but even quicker is God's response. Right? He, he does not leave them in their sin. He does not leave Adam and Eve helpless. He, he goes right to them. And he, he gives them a promise. And then what's the next thing he does? He takes a ram, an animal, and he, God butchers it right in front of Adam. So that was the first death. The first death was not actually um, uh, Abel, Cain and Abel, right? Um, but the first death was actually an animal that God killed. It was a lamb, a ram. And God made, a, God, God made clothing from that animal to cover Adam and Eve. That's foreshadowing Jesus, the Lamb of God who dies to clothe the world, to take away the sin of the world and clothe the world with his own righteousness, right? So think about how, how striking that, that death of that animal would have been for Adam, the first death he'd ever seen, but, but God is using it even there to picture, to picture Jesus who dies for us. Um, so we have right away, God does not leave us uh, in, our own, in our sin. Any other comments? Can we close with the hymn that's, that's printed before you? If you want to open up to the hymnal, uh, that way you have the, uh, the, the melody with you. It's 483. We're going to sing verses 1 and 10. Verses 1 and 10. Who knows when death may overtake me? Time passes on my end draws near. How swiftly can my breath forsake me? How soon can life's last hour appear? My God, for Jesus' sake I pray, Thy peace may bless my dying day. Then may death come today, tomorrow. I know in Christ I perish not. He grants me peace that stills all sorrow, gives me a robe without a spot. My God, for Jesus' sake I pray, thy peace may bless my dying day. God's peace be with you. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.